It's good to be together tonight. We come together on the Lord's Day because it is a special day, and we gather on Sunday evenings in part because we appreciate the uh, friendship and the fellowship that we share as brothers and sisters, and we are grateful for your presence. I invite you to open your Bibles to the New Testament book of the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to spend a considerable amount of time tonight uh, looking at the 10th chapter, just looking at four or five verses in our study together in Luke, the 10th chapter. We are blessed, as Brother Danny pointed out, with a number of individuals that are visiting with us, some of you for the first or second time, and some of you are frequent visitors and our members who are here on a regular basis. We are grateful for the presence of each and every one. And if there are things that we do tonight, uh, things that we say that seem strange to you, uh, you are not going to offend us by asking us, why did you do what you just did? Or why did people uh, sing those songs? Or why was that sermon delivered? Or was that directed at me? Or all those kinds of questions. We want to try to help you get closer to God and ultimately spend eternity with him in heaven. And that's our goal, is to draw closer to him. And to do so, it requires us to make certain types of choices in order to adequately serve him in a faithful capacity. I want to look at Luke chapter 10 tonight, and I want to talk about the three M's. Mary, I want to talk about Martha, and then I want to draw the application to me. Incidentally, the story of Mary and Martha is not inserted in the Bible just as a ladies' Bible class topic. <laughs> Uh, this is the master teacher talking about two individuals with whom he shared a close friendship and kinship. And he uses this opportunity, as he always does, as this wonderfully talented teacher to say, I'm going to use this interaction that we're going to share in these few moments together to teach a valuable lesson. Not just to you, Mary, and not just to you, Martha but to the saints that come 2,000 years later. And chances are that a good number of those who are present this evening and who are listening and following along have read the story of Mary and Martha, these two individual ladies, and the relationship that they shared with Jesus. There's also the opportunity that there may be some with us tonight who've never heard of Mary and Martha. And you say, well, we're talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and there are lots of Marys in the Bible, right? Lots of Jameses in the Bibles. Lots of Johns appear in the Bible. Using when we're studying with someone who may not have biblical 101 knowledge that you and I sometimes enjoy and participate in. But I want to just read these five verses and then make some very simple applications. In some ways, this is a very simple sermon. Uh, but I, ha I believe it has really profound implications for the way that we live, maybe in some surprising ways that we'll talk about tonight. It happened. This is chapter 10 of the Gospel of Luke. This is the third book in the New Testament, chapter 10, verse 38. It happened as they went that they entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha, so anytime you see a but in the Bible, say, like, wait a minute, something's about to happen here. But Martha was distracted with much serving. 
And she approached Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Or some versions might say just by myself. Therefore, tell her to help me. I chuckle every time I read this story because I can think about the interaction between these two individuals. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary, your sister, has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So many wonderful things could be said about this text. And I'm not about to instruct a women's class. Uh, I'm not sufficient enough to be good enough. I've heard about some of the women's studies, the ladies' Bible studies that happen, or some of the uh, devotions that you have as, as females. And you guys just do, uh, you women, do a, a just wonderful job uh, sharing those messages based on the interactions that I've heard among other women in those studies. And I appreciate that, and that's good for this church. But I am going to try to talk about this more in a global sense, not just about men or women, but about Christians, about servants, about who we are supposed to be. And I want to make four very simple observations. We'll spend maybe five to six, seven minutes on each of these four observations. And the first of those is we need to come to the acknowledgement that there's a difference between welcoming and listening. There's a difference between hearing and listening and listening and hearing And some of us are good at understanding those differences, and some of us are not quite so good at those particular differences. But this particular event or this interaction reminds us that while they are both important, they are not the same. Are we to be welcoming to one another? Absolutely. In fact, there are uh, all kinds of passages that talk about welcoming one another, entertaining strangers, the Hebrew writer would tell us, and showing hospitality to those who are not only of the household of faith, but even to those who are of the world. And certainly we are to be hearers and to listen to what Jesus has to say. And this is a group that needs to be reminded of the importance of we welcome all, and we want to listen to all as well. And so if you go back to verse 38, I'm reading from the New King James Version tonight, so you may have some slightly different variations of the words that are being used. The New King James says that Martha welcomed Jesus. And so here is our first very simple question of the night. Did Martha do something good here and something well? And the answer is yes, to welcome Jesus and say, Master teacher, rabbi, as may have been the word used by these individuals in this Jewish society, welcome to our home. Thank you for coming and gracing us with your presence. It reminds me of when Zacchaeus, that little man that we read about later in the book of Luke, Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. In essence, you're going to welcome me in your house. And then he sat down and instructed him about the more finer ways of life. And so this was not a bad or inappropriate thing at all. And I know that from comparative passages, just a page or two back in your Bible, in Luke chapter 8 and in verse 40, where it says, when Jesus had returned, this is the account after healing a man who had a demon possession. It says, when he had returned, the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. So just another reference to the idea of welcoming Jesus. 
You and I are to welcome Jesus into our personal lives. We are to welcome him into our homes. We should have him as every part of our lives. And as the teachers of old said, would you do that if Jesus were sitting next to you literally? Would you watch that? Would you talk that way? Would you conduct yourself that way? We welcome him into our lives. But then notice that in English, as well as in the original language in which this is written, that verse 39 uses a different word. And it seems to me that it's not that Mary was unwelcoming to Jesus. It's that she was more concerned with hearing him. And so in verse 39, it says, she sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So there's two verbs ascribed to Mary in this particular account. Now, One of the things that we can appreciate here is that this was Mary's choice. Mary was not forced into listening to Jesus as Martha was also not uh, forced into welcoming Jesus. Jesus knew that this was Mary's choice. But did you notice what he said about this particular uh, choice? If you read in verse 42 and you want to underline in your Bible the word good or the better part, that's what she chose. Martha is not a horrible person in this story. Martha is in many ways identifiable with so many of us, men and women alike. Whereas we'll talk about in just a moment or two, we get caught up in the affairs of this world. More on that going back to where the Derek's reading from Matthew chapter 6 a few moments ago. But Mary says, there are a lot of things happening in my environment, in my household right now. And the one thing that I really want to focus my attention on is on the spiritually important words of the Savior, the Master Teacher, Jesus himself. Because that's more important than anything else. Fortunately, sarcasm note coming, we don't live in a world or in an environment where there are all kinds of distractions around us that would keep us from focusing our attention where it needs to be. No, that's not the case at all. Between what's going on at work and in our families, their will to get us to our second observation always be distractions. And I would like to tell you, if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, that if you've been pondering that for the last few months or maybe for the last few years and you've been putting it off saying, I want to get to a point where I'm no longer distracted, you'll never get to that point because there will always be distractions. And I'd like to tell you that once you become a Christian, that then your laser beam focus is just on the Bible and that's all you think about 24 hours a day. That's not the way it works either because you get distracted by life, which is neither good nor bad. It's just life. And the fact that Martha here is focused or distracted by taking care of the things of the house is not necessarily that, again, Martha is doing anything wrong. She's doing what what any person would do when someone comes to your home. We say, well, I got to make sure that the bed is made. I got to make sure the laundry is folded. I got to make sure that everything is in its proper place. And I want to welcome them into a warm environment and make them feel at home. It's interesting that people go on vacation hundreds and thousands of miles just so they can feel at home. Funny how that works. But Martha here, it says in verse 40, was distracted. That's the New King James Version, distracted. And again, this is not news to anyone here in that we deal with distractions as well. I looked at that word 
especially in the original language in which it was written. It's the idea of being encumbered. It's the idea of drawing away from or to be over-occupied. Someone once said, it's not a matter of a person being too busy because of the distraction in his or her life. It's just the choices that you make with the time that God has given you. All of us are given, as Brother Bill Bain told us, 168 hours a week. 24 hours a day, we get uh, 365 days a year, and every four years we get a bonus day, and, and in November we get a bonus hour like today. Everyone's well-rested and ready to listen for hours now tonight. But the point is, is we all have the same amount of time, but how we use it and how we try to deal with those distractions in life is what makes the difference. And notice, if you would, the description of the distractions in verse 41. Go back and read verse 41. It's Jesus answered, and he says, Martha, Martha, which seems to be symbolic of saying, Shaking my head, Martha, Martha, wake up. And he says, you are worried and you are troubled about many things. And so he says the worry is the idea of carefulness or anxiousness. And again, I mentioned the idea of sarcasm. There'll be a little bit of that weave throughout this particular sermon tonight as we develop into the second half of our study. But we deal with a world that is filled with all sorts of worry, carefulness, and anxiety. And by the way, just as a point, as an aside, just because a person is a Christian does not make him or her immune from the anxieties of this world, nor make that person wrong for having those anxieties as long as he or she is trying to deal with them in an appropriate and fashionable way as governed by Scripture. So you may come across someone as a Christian say, I'm just, I'm really, really, really fretting, and I am very anxious and very careful and very uh, consumed with all the things in my life. That's a person that you want to try to encourage and certainly try to assist. There are things that trouble us. To be troubled is to be disturbed. And I, again, are you ever disturbed by anything you see in the news? Are you ever troubled by anything that goes on in your workplace? Are you ever troubled by anything that happens in your family, extended or otherwise? Of course, these are things that really happen in our lives. But the fact is, is you and I have to be individuals that manage our worry, manage our anxiety, deal with trouble in an appropriate way. It seems to me that there will always be those distractions. And I want to talk about those two words, the word worry and the word trouble. This is not a sermon or a series on worry. I have a couple of sermons that I've done over the past 15 to 20 years just on anxiety and just on worry. And it's not because I have mastered how to deal with those things. I often, sometimes, I often say to someone that uh, the sermons that I like the most are the sermons that help me the most. And invariably, it ends up helping someone else. But there are individuals who are present tonight or those who are watching that I am confident, without any doubt, are worried about something. No doubt in my mind. And worry is often associated with that which is in the past, which cannot be changed, and the future, which cannot be predicted. And while rocking chairs are okay to sit in in a literal way, rocking chairs are the worry of the world wherein you 
keep yourself busy, and you get no place, forward or backwards. And it just distracts you. We are sometimes focused on our past mistakes and past regrets, and we carry the guilt. And I have known of Christians who have carried guilt for decades. And I think about Psalm 51, and I think about some of the other classic penitent psalms of David and others who say, I'm sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me for what I've done, but you can't go back and undo the past. If we could go and undo the past in our lives, all of us would be first in line and fighting for that spot to say, I want to change this, that, and this. Because I'm, I'm regretting those things that provide me with guilt and with regret. But it also is the idea of possible or future struggles, which then brings us to the idea that you may be worried about this very evening about something that's going to happen in the next week or the next month or later in 2024 if the Lord wills us to get to that point. I don't have the magic answer to be able to say, well, just stop that. And by the way, one of the worst things that you can do for a Christian who is anxious or worried, is to just go to them and say, well, just stop being worried. So just as an aside, don't do that. Give them scriptures, help them, and certainly pray with them. But certainly we've got to be concerned about not only worry, but about trouble with ongoing issues. I appreciate Brother Josh leading us in prayer and doing so ably and doing so in a way where he says there are a lot of our members who are with ongoing issues, physical, emotional, mental, financial, and most importantly, of course, the spiritually weak among us that we are praying about and doing our very best to get back to where they need to be. Family illness or financial stress are all things that we have all probably have dealt with or will deal with at some point in our life. But I appreciate our brother leading us in, a, in one of those first songs, let's forget about ourselves and magnify the Lord is the text of the song that we sang earlier tonight. So let us forget about ourselves and focus on magnifying the Lord. More on that in our final comments in just a few moments. Let me suggest to you that when you think about Mary and Martha, there's something else that jumped out to me in this particular study, and that is thirdly, doing right requires effort. I wish it were the case in some ways that being a faithful child of God was just easy street and requires no effort and is just seamless. But in fact, work and salvation are used in the same context in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, you are going to have to work. And Peter says in his first letter, you will likely suffer. And Paul says to Timothy, you will endure persecutions for my sake. A person, think about this, cannot accidentally please God. No one gets into heaven and they say, well, this was a mistake. And God says, well, I made a mistake. That's one out of a billion, but it's... Don't worry about it. You don't get into heaven and say, well, why didn't see this coming? There may, unfortunately, strike the may, be individuals who find themselves separated from God for eternity who did not see that coming. And that's the frightening thing. 
And that goes back to the point that we've made throughout this whole Lord's Day of trying to find opportunities and make those opportunities to share with others the good news that we have been provided and have been fortunate to learn about. Mary did right as evidenced by those two things that she did there in those verses. It says that Mary in verse 39, she did right when she sat at Jesus' feet and she did so with a willingness to humble herself. Those two things there jump out to me, that one is a willingness to invest the time and the other is a willingness to humble herself. Those two things are elementary principles of who we are as Christians today. And if you are not willing to invest time and willing to practice humility, it's going to be really hard to be a faithful child of God. You could make the argument that you'd be impossible to be a child of God in the first place without the willingness of those two things. But certainly Mary models that behavior. A person does not accidentally serve God, but a person purposely pleases God. And the results of doing that which is right are indeed eternal. I don't know all the ins and outs of everything that Jesus meant in that last part of verse 42, though in a very basic sense, I do think he's talking about the idea that investing time in Jesus Christ pays off in eternal dividends, which, quote, will not be taken away from her. That will not be taken away. The dishes and the... Uh, the house and the welcoming and the hospitality is great. And I'm not here suggesting that we throw caution to the wind and give up on taking uh, care of our houses and the affairs of this life because even the, the Bible says something about having an appropriate managed house as well as much as possible. But I will say this. There was a time way back when people would call upon you at your house and get this frightening without ever letting you know they're going to show up. You know, these days you'll call ahead or text and say, I'm on my way, I'll be there in about 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Honey, hurry. Put this away, put this away. So one of the things that I've had the uh, luxury and the experience of doing, especially in the last four to five years, is oftentimes people will give me some sort of a financial gift to give to someone else in an anonymous fashion. And a lot of times I will show up without even calling. That's rude, I suppose. I did so a few months ago, and when, when I, I, it softens the blow when you're showing up with a gift, I, I assume. But they, I, they said, well, we're at a point now we don't really care. So, you know, our life is just going crazy right now. We're trying to do everything. There are things that are more important than those neat houses that are always otherwise put together. Because fourthly and finally, only one thing really matters. Jesus actually says one thing is needed. And Martha thought that she needed to serve. That was the need that she saw as most important. And it's not that that is unimportant, but she put that paramount to everything else. And so I get this picture of Jesus saying, 
very spiritually important things, wanting to develop a relationship and draw uh, Mary and Martha closer to himself and ultimately closer to the Father. And Martha is saying, I'm listening, I'm listening from the kitchen. In a small house that would have been in this Jewish culture, of course. But, and she says to Jesus, do you not care Are you not concerned? And is it not evidence to you that my sister doesn't care? Verse 40 says, "You Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And then has the, I would think, audacity to say, tell her to help me. (laughs) Again, I, I chuckle every time I read this because I just, I wonder what the facial... Uh, look was, and I wonder what the tone was. But she was frustrated with her sister. And she appeals to Jesus, says, tell her to get in here and help me with these dishes and help me with the cupcakes. Christians need to be reminded about what's needed and what's not important. And again, I'm not suggesting to ladies or men, because there are some really good men cooks in this congregation. I'm not suggesting that you throw caution to the wind and and say, well, I'm not going to bake. I'm not going to cook. I'm not going to clean. I'm not going to take care of the house. Just let things, preacher says I can just make a complete mess of myself and of my property. But there are things that matter more in this life, not just in the physical side, but just when it comes to the spiritual side. One thing really matters. I want to look at three or four passages and go outside of the Gospel of Luke for just a second or or so. We're going to come back to Luke chapter 9 in just a moment. But I want to go back to Matthew chapter 6. And if you want to open there, you're welcome to do so. I'm not going to read what Derek so nicely read for us a few moments ago in part because of its length. Uh, And I know that 10 or 11 verses is a little bit long for our standard scripture readings of maybe four to five verses. But Matthew chapter 6 is... Well, I'll just say it is my favorite passage in the book of Matthew. And I have worked for 40-some years on getting past the anxiety and the worry and the, the troubling nature of things that we can worry about. Some people, because of their DNA, because of the way that they were brought up, because of trauma in their life, are real worriers and are a PhD in worry. And some of you, just easy going. Neither of which is good or bad. That's just the way you are. However, if you are in that first class and you have a degree in worry hanging on your wall, this is a go-to passage, at least it seems to me. Read Matthew 6, 24 through the end of the chapter every day for a year if you have to. Commit it to memory. Verse 27 always humors me. And there's commentaries on this that really get into the debate about what we're talking about in verse 27. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? And literally, the idea is adding height, you know? And the commentator said, well, no, that's talking about the years. And that may be, but... Anything you worry about, worrying about it isn't going to change what it is you're concerned about. Verse 34 in the text, Jesus says, I'm telling you that tomorrow will take care of itself. You may not even be alive and the world may not exist. I'm not saying again that we throw caution to the wind and we say we don't prepare. 
for our physical future and our financial future and our family's future. But verse 33, it seems to me, is that ultimate verse where he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will fall into place, if I can broadly paraphrase Matthew 6, 33. We sing songs about seeking first the kingdom of God. By the way, if God is not first, he's last. And what we trick ourselves into doing, sometimes as positioned by Satan to do so, is say, well, I'll make God my third most important thing in my life. But you can't do that. He's got to be number one. I'm also struck by the simplicity of Matthew chapter 9 and verse 57 and following where he says, it happened as they journeyed on the road. This is just a page or two back from our primary text in Luke chapter 10. He says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus says in verse 58 of Luke chapter 9, he says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus would say to the man who says, I need to first of all attend to the funeral affairs of my a recently deceased father. He says, let the, let the dead bury their own dead. Go preach. And another says, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Jesus says in verse 62, almost it seems to me with a little bit of frustration, he says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What do we look back towards so many times? The things that worry us, cause us anxiety, and otherwise trouble or distract us. And Jesus says, don't look at those things. Don't be focused on those things. This is true for those who are younger and true for those who are older. Those who are younger should model this for the behavior, model this behavior for your peers. And those who are older should model this for young people. In fact, Titus chapter 2 talks about older men and older women living themselves or, or living in such a way so as to provide an example for those who are younger as to what really matters. And so if someone does come to your house and doesn't let you know ahead of time, and maybe things are a little bit out of place, and you're an older person, and the younger person is there, you may say, well, you know, there are things that matter more than just fill in the blank. And use that as an opportunity to teach. Mary, Martha, but what about me? Let me suggest to you that these four things are as applicable today as they were to Mary and Martha and to the audience in Luke's time some 2,000 years ago. Am I welcoming Jesus only? And there are people in the world who say, I, I want Jesus in my life. I want a little bit of Jesus. I want a little bit of the church. I want a little bit of Bible. I want a little bit of the God stuff. But I don't want to dedicate myself entirely to that. We need to listen which means put him first. Am I troubled about things? And you may be here this evening, you say, I, I am troubled about some things. Well, turn it over to the Lord. Cast all your cares on him. He cares for you. He wants all your burdens. Am I willing to put forth the effort to do right, that third point that we made a few moments ago, and then we'll close with, am I making other things 
more important than Jesus Christ. It seems to me, as we close here, that one individual that was distracted was a king some 2,000 years ago that we're actually going to sing about here in about three minutes. A king by the name of Agrippa. And Paul was before him, and he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? He says, I actually believe that you do believe. I know you believe. Incidentally, which is a point that tells us that belief is great, but not enough. And Agrippa says to Paul, he says, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost persuade me. Almost getting the job doesn't pay the bills. Almost making it onto the team doesn't get you an opportunity to get a letter. Almost is get you so far, but not where you need to be. And so Paul would say, I would to God that not only you, but everyone who's hearing me might become both almost and altogether, such as I am as a child of God. And so we're going to sing a song in just a moment, Almost Persuaded designed to help you to say, I want to be persuaded to be more like my Savior. And ultimately, in choosing between the, the, the two choices that we're looking at this evening, be someone that welcomes and listens and hears and does and learns from the Savior like Mary did when she chose that good part some 2,000 years ago. If we can help you to make the choices to serve God going forward. If we can help you to learn more, maybe you're present and you're saying, this is all brand new to me, this idea of Christianity and the church and Jesus and service. I, I don't know what I'm getting myself into, but I'm interested. We'd love to study with you. We'd be happy to do so. If you're at a point now this evening where you're ready to be baptized for the remission of your sins, or if you've done that and you are a child of God who's not living in a faithful way, we'd love to help you to draw yourself closer back to where it needs to be, back close to God. If we can help you, let us know while we stand, while we sing at this time.